Welcome to the My Curious Colleague Podcast with your host, me, Denise Veneri. We'll be talking all things consumer relations with a focus on consumer product goods organizations and the brand specialist and analyst roles and responsibilities. So if you like CPGs like I like CPGs, marketing, insights, and caring deeply for your consumers, well, take a listen. Hello, my curious colleagues. Today, my guest is my colleague, Michelle Schuster. As some of you may be aware, every year at around the time of this recording in mid-March, World Consumer Rights Day is recognized. So kind of using that as a little inspiration in this episode, with Michelle's help, of course, we're going to talk about U.S. consumer rights, uh, rights around privacy and other legislation that are in the works that you may want to be sure you're aware of and think about some things that you may want to consider so you're at the ready. So with that, let me start into it. So hello, Michelle, and welcome to the podcast. Hello, Denise, and thanks for having me. I'm very excited about this. It's a really interesting topic for me. Oh, I'm so glad because it is totally not in my bailiwick. Is that the right phrase? But That's a good one. It should be. Um, I mean, I'm a little bit more of a worker bee, but still, it's something that um, I need to get a little bit closer to. So I'm hoping to learn a lot from you today. <laughs> I hope so, too. Or I failed, Denise. Oh, no, no, no. So let's start with you telling us a little bit about you and your career. Yeah, happy to do it. So I've been practicing law for 30 years now. I find that so impossible to believe. I graduated from law school in San Francisco, California in 1993. And uh, I had a a little bit of uh, a a curvy route to get where I am now. But relevant to this conversation, uh, in the late 90s and early 2000s, I was um, assistant chief and chief of the Ohio Attorney General's Consumer Protection Section. So I was responsible for enforcing these consumer protection laws for uh, many, many years. And then after I left, I went into private practice, worked for a large firm and helped companies comply with those laws that I used to enforce. And then we started our own firm 16 years ago, which is also almost impossible to believe, uh, with three other consumer protection chiefs and former Ohio Attorney General Betty Montgomery. And we're located in New Albany, Ohio. And uh, uh, consumer protection is really one of the mainstays of our uh, practice areas. Thank you very much. It's such an impressive background, you know, with that consumer at the center, which is kind of where the consumer is in in the center of everything that I do. I know a lot of our colleagues do as well. So let's, let's get into the one set of rights I think some of us should be familiar with, and that is the Consumer Bill of Rights. And maybe what you can do is just kind of take us through a top line of what that was, what the intent was, and and really when that was even introduced um, would be great. Yeah. And, you know, it's so interesting because these consumer, uh, this Consumer Bill of Rights and the rights that were espoused in it were never passed as a law. It was just a principle that was introduced by JFK in 1962. And if you think about that time frame, really leading up to, you know, mid-century, there weren't consumer protection laws out there. Industry had all of the power. I mean, you think about coming out of the 1920s with the rail barons and 
with the antitrust uh, laws that started to go into effect with these really massive companies that really had all the power. And so in 1962, and it was rather groundbreaking when JFK proposed these four basic consumer protection rights. And it's really from the, the you know, this, this speech that he gave to Congress uh, that a lot of our modern day consumer protection laws uh, came out of. And I can tell you later, there were three other presidents that added to these uh, Bill of Rights. And uh, later, the United Nations adopted them and added some additional rights as well. So, you know, we really are looking at something that was foundational here that we're talking about now for uh, consumer, uh, consumer Protection Rights uh, Day. So exciting stuff. So can, can you name one of the Bill of Rights for us, just to get level yeah. set again? So this is what we can say about these rights. Primarily, um, they were uh, made in response to that power that businesses had, and primarily in the manufacturing aspect of consumer protection rights. Um, you know, these rights were around having safe products released and that companies not being able to, to knowingly release unsafe products and to know that if a company represented that a product was of a certain quality, that that had to be accurate. So those are the types of things that in 1962, JFK was really concerned about. How do we protect those consumers from these unsafe products and un unsafe and unfair or maybe deceptive claims from businesses? And then we've really gone from there. Also interesting is what it didn't include. From what I understand, privacy mm -hmm. was not a topic in those Bill of Rights and even any of the things that were added from there. So, so yeah. I'm wondering from your point of view, why, why do you think that was or is? Yeah, I mean, you think back, Denise, probably when we first got into the industry, the big complaint that consumers had was that they were getting too much junk mail. Do you remember this? And the Direct Marketing oh, yeah. Association had the junk mail list that consumers could sign up for so they didn't get yeah. junk mail anymore. Well, you think about today and how um, we are pretty much under constant surveillance when we're on the Internet and when we are signing up to receive things. I mean, think about the businesses that you do business with that almost require that you go online and provide this information. So I think back in, you know, the in 1962 and really until you know probably we got into the 2005 2006 time frame when the internet really started to become uh used by common you know the common men and women uh is is that you know the privacy rights weren't really that important until then and so with all the information out there on the internet all of the easy sharing of consumer information um, consumers complaining about being bombarded with marketing messages through texts and phone calls and uh, emails, and even wondering how these companies got their information. That's when privacy really started to become a concern. And then obviously there's always, and this isn't anything that businesses uh, get involved in, but the fraudulent actors out there and how they're getting information because companies aren't keeping information safe and you know, primarily in the financial sector. So uh, it really wasn't until the internet Internet exploded that privacy became as big of an issue as it is now. Yeah. So it sort of follows the proliferation of, of technology and the, and the subsequent yeah. adoption. I thought it was going to be more like that was a different time back in the 60s when no one was fraudulent <laughs> or any of that stuff. But no, it makes more sense that it follows, follows that trend. You know what, um, Denise, the 60s were definitely a very different time. Uh, and yeah. so yeah, for a lot of different reasons, and privacy was probably one of them. <laughs> yeah. 
So let's play a game um, now, sort of building off of that. What we what we're what we're saying is that privacy was not in that really in the original set for some good reasons. If you had to add or make an addendum to the Consumer Bill of Rights, what do you feel consumers would need to know? What should be added, especially what's going on today? Are you a customer care professional looking to expand your knowledge and connect with others in your industry? Then you won't want to miss out on SOCAP's World Consumer Rights Day celebration on March 15th. It all started with President Kennedy's announcement of the original Consumer Bill of Rights, which laid the foundation for the customer service industry we know today. Since then, this industry has grown into a billion-dollar industry, employing millions of people worldwide. For 50 years, SOCAP has been bringing customer care professionals together from a wide variety of industries for education, networking, best practices, benchmarking, and problem solving. And this year, SOCAP is kicking off their 50th anniversary by acknowledging the Consumer Bill of Rights in their World Consumer Rights Day celebration. To make the celebration even more special, SOCAP is proud to sponsor the My Curious Colleague interview with Michelle Schuster, founding partner of McMurray & Schuster. Listen in as they discuss the Consumer Bill of Rights and its impact on consumer-oriented legislation. Don't miss out on this opportunity to connect with other professionals in your field and learn more about the principles that have shaped the customer service industry. Join SOCAP's World Consumer Rights Day celebration on March 15th. You kind of you kind of teed that one up for me for me easy there Denise I mean privacy is obviously the logical one and um, it's also something that I think the states and the federal government think is the logical one to add now we um, unlike a lot of the other countries in the world the United States does not have one uniform privacy law right now um, we have states that are passing privacy laws and as a result we have a really complicated system of privacy consumer laws that are developing you know as of right now we have california colorado utah virginia and connecticut that have privacy laws uh, and we have a whole okay. a, a large number of states that have also pro pro proposed privacy laws but it's not something that's national yet. There is an American Data Privacy Protection Act that has been introduced in Congress, um, but we're not seeing much movement on that uh, yet. So, you know, if, if there could be another, another right added to the National Consumer Bill of Rights, I think it would absolutely have to be privacy. And I think consumers are demanding it now. Uh, so uh, it, it'll be interesting to see where all this legislation goes. Yeah. So if, if I could just break it down, my, my understanding is there's legislation out there at the federal level and then at the state level. And and you mentioned sort of both of those at, at a high level. Getting back to our game, so you would add some things about privacy. But can I can I ask you to, to kind of get a little bit more specific? What about sure. privacy? Or what sure, about sure. protection in, in the tech space? If I'm thinking about this correctly, what would be your yeah. druthers? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I think it's, all, it's, it's a lot like the other consumer protection laws. And that is, 
you know, that consumers have the right to know what's going to happen. And whether that be a product, you know, that that product is going to perform safely, or if they've purchased something as a result of an ad, they have a right to know that that ad uh, was fair and accurate. Uh, and so it's kind of like that in the privacy world, too, that consumers have a right to know how their information is being used. So what information is being collected? How is it going to be used? How it can be shared? And with um, the 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 you know firm belief that if they give this information to a company that they will hold it in a way that keeps it from being breached or given to somebody that it wasn't intended to so you know the right to know uh the right to to know who's getting it once that information is is uh, provided and then the right to know that that information is going to be kept safe a lot of the other states uh, also have built into what they're um, proposing for their state laws that consumers have the right to access the information they have on them so uh, that they could correct it uh, or um, ask that it be deleted or even further ask that it not be shared. So those are kind of the fundamental principles we're looking at uh, with privacy that are very similar to most of the consumer protection laws out there now. I hear what you're saying. I like it. And we're going to get to sort of the impact on some of our yeah. colleagues can begin to think through and prepare for. And I want to get to that for sure. Yeah. Because you know I like to do that on the My Curious Colleague podcast. But let's go, we're going to go back to the one that you mentioned. I think it's the federal one, American Data Privacy and Protection Act. Mm-hmm. What What is that? So first of all, that's pending, right? Still? It's pending in Congress, yes. It's been introduced and is pending. Okay. So what would that create if that were to be, what's the right word, passed, approved? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 If it were okay. passed, passed by both houses of the Congress and then signed by yeah. the president. Um, well, you know, I mean, the first thing to know is that it is a comprehensive set of privacy and uh, federal federal data privacy laws. And so it looks at consumer data and what companies would be required uh, to do with that data. And that includes with, you know, how they handle it when it's being collected, how they process that data and how it's transferred to other covered entities. And so let's just talk about that right away. The entities uh, that would be covered under the legislation as it's proposed now is any company that grosses more than $250 million or if they have more than 5 million individual or devices uh collected sensitive data, so having more than five individual points of of data, or if they have done a a sensitive data of more than 100,000 individuals or devices. So it really would cover a lot of the companies in the United States, but more targeted the larger uh, rather than those small businesses. And, you know, the concepts that are being proposed in the American Data Privacy Protection Act are a lot like the concepts that we've seen in the state laws that are passed. And so, you know, if we if we talk about those uh, state laws, we're primarily talking about, you know, having a privacy policy that actually discloses to consumers uh, how their information is being collected, used and shared. Uh, they have okay. to have point of collection notices. So on that website page where you're actually giving your information, uh, you have mm-hmm. to um, provide information um, about how it's being collected uh, and that it is being collected. Uh, if there are financial incentives, 
than uh, disclosing those types of financial incentives. But, you know, just basically the right of consumers to know that their information is being collected, that they have somewhat, somewhat control over the information that they are collected, collecting, and then they have the right to opt out of that or have it deleted. So those are the concepts we're seeing in the federal law, a lot like the state laws. The okay, other thing that's so interesting about the um, federal, so the American Data Privacy Protection Act is yeah. that it would give broad powers to the Federal Trade Commission. So those of us that are in consumer protection law, your colleagues that are compliance officers, they're very familiar with the FTC. Uh, and it would give the FTC the ability to pass laws about what these concepts that we're talking about here mean and how companies have to actually uh, implement those. And uh, once they do, you know, once they do draft rules and they go through their rulemaking process and give folks a, a period of time to comment on those, those would become law uh, after those rules are implemented. So it really is going to give a lot of authority to the Federal Trade Commission, who is the federal consumer protection agency. So they have a lot of experience with these uh, types of things. You know, the Federal Trade Commission has the do not call list that they implement. And so there have been proposals too that they're be a do not, uh, you know, a do not related to privacy. So if you put your name and uh, email address, telephone number or email address or other information like that for social media on this list, then companies wouldn't be able to share that information. Uh, so lots of interesting things happening out there. Uh, we yeah. definitely we would recommend the colleagues pay attention as, as uh, these things move along. That's where I was going to go next. We can get to the state level stuff in a minute, but let's just stay because this American Data Privacy and Protection Act sounds huge, especially with the yeah. FTC piece that you shared. So, what, what what would our colleagues need to do? And they're on the on the company side, obviously, right? What what should they do to become aware of what's going on and make sure that you know what should they begin to think about? Is there technology they need to? Mm-hmm. You know, get ready to set up to comply with all of these. I'm just sort of throwing that out. I I, I don't know. Yeah. No, you're you're right on. You are right on point. And so, you know, obviously we work with a lot of companies that are implementing these state uh, privacy laws now. And because the federal law, at least as it's written now, appears to be mirroring a lot of those concepts. And those concepts were first introduced by California. So California is usually the bellwether state. It is no different here. Uh, and so we're seeing a lot, of, a lot of those concepts there. And so what's really important is that, that, that we look at the information we collect about consumer. So identify those collection points so that we know if we have to provide notices later where the collection points are so that we can easily add to those types of notifications. We have to know where we store that data once we get it. And we have to make sure that where we are storing it, especially if it's sensitive or protected information, that it's being stored in a way that is not likely to be breached um, because there are all states have data breach laws now and the FTC has found that if a company has a breach it's unfair or deceptive and they can pursue a cause of action against them. So you know we really want to start with with those types of things. Know where your data is being collected, know how it's being stored, know how it's being shared. If you're working with vendors now would be a good time to start talking to your vendors about how they do these types of things. So if we're sharing our, our really private, sensitive customer or potential customer information with you, how are you protecting that? How are you making sure that you don't share it? Uh, and, you know, what type of, of 
you know, policies or procedures do you have in place to, to make sure that our, our customer information is safe when it's with you? And yeah. I know when you were talking about those five states that have passed privacy laws, <clears throat> maybe you, I think you might have already answered this one, but you know, what are some of those common threads and principles that you've been seeing with those initial five that maybe we can expect with some of the other passages if it were to happen? Yeah. So if we were to look at what's already out there on the state level for the states that have passed privacy laws as maybe a good indicator of what we'll eventually see on the federal level, you know, the types of things that are uh, important to in those state regulations uh, are surround privacy policies. So the requirement to have a privacy policy that is actually followed. I'm sure, Denise, you and I have, you know, not anywhere we've worked, obviously, but have probably seen privacy policies out there for companies that say they do all of these wonderful and great things to protect privacy uh, information of their of their uh, customers or potential customers, but they're not actually doing any of those things. They may have even copied it from another website. I would hate to say that that happens, but it does happen. Uh, but it's really important with the privacy policy and what the straight state laws are stressing is anything that's in your privacy uh, policy, you actually have to be doing and you have to be affording the privacy protections that are outlined in there to your consumers. Um, there are some provisions within those privacy policies that are required on the state level. And that's just generally, um, you know, how their personal injury is personal information is being collected, used, and disclosed. So those general principles in a privacy policy. Uh, there's also point of collection notices. So um, as, as, as I've mentioned, that point in a, a usually in, you know, you're on the internet, you're on a website uh, or in a company's app, and you're sharing your information. Well, these states require that you give notices on those pages at that specific point where they're providing their information that uh, talks about what their privacy rights are and how they can exercise those, including, and California was the first to do this, to have the right to have your information not shared or uh, deleted. And so uh, it's a do not share my information request uh, that has to be on the point of collection um, uh, screens for any uh, California uh, consumer rights that you're providing. So generally, people will say for California residents, and then they'll see that the uh, their their rights that, that are outlined in that. So that that, oh, excuse me. That's generally those the high level of types of things that we're talking about. The California piece at that state level is that that CCPA. That's exactly right, CCPA. and the CPRA, okay. which that, are the rules what they've recently. I mean, what the acronym is? What is the acronym, Michelle? It's the California Consumer Privacy Act. So, it's, so the CPRA are the rules that California has passed to implement the CCPA. Okay, that's what the R stands for. Okay, yes. and I would say that one, I think there's a little bit more visibility because that one, you for some reason, obviously California probably being one of the first yes. that passed this. Yes. And it took effect okay. January 1st of this year. So that is one that is the, on a lot of people's minds. Yeah. Okay. They have said they won't start enforcing it until July 1st. But if there's a violation between January and July, they can enforce it starting July 1st. Okay. We're going to wrap them up. But let me ask you this. Who in your organization typically 
is your contact for consumer care organizations or marketing that you can go to to just stay abreast of some of this timing and things like that? Who is that? You mentioned compliance officer. Is it them? Is it legal? Who, who owns that? You know, it, it really does depend on the organization, but it's it's both of those. You're 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 dead on. It's both of those. I mean, generally, your uh, legal, your in-house counsel is going to bring these things into uh, the company uh, to let them know, and then the compliance team is tasked with implementing all of these uh, new rules and laws that are being passed on the state level. And uh, so, you know, it really is all of them. And then your marketing department has really got to be on top of uh, of these rules and regulations and making sure that from a practical aspect, these policies and procedures that are being put in place can be implemented. Because uh, the worst thing that could happen is that a company say they're doing something and then they're not actually doing that. So it really is group effort between um, legal, compliance, and marketing. And IT, of course, IT always at the middle of all these. All right. Well, that is a fabulous 101. I appreciate that. Um, Let's move into my final two questions. And I always like to ask all my guests if they have a nonprofit organization they'd like to give a shout out to. Yeah, so I'm general counsel for the Professional Association for Customer Engagements. And so that is a great place for companies to go to learn about uh, all of these new privacy laws and consumer uh, rights law, uh, consumer protection laws and and, uh, rights that are out there and how to help implement those uh, and really anything around uh, calls or uh, lead generation, all of those types of things are, are central to PACE. Perfect. Okay, so we're going to move on to the last question. It's, it's easy. It's an easy one. If people wanted to learn more about you and or your work, what uh, contact information would you like to share? Uh, they can go to our website at mslawgroup.com, and uh, they'll find out uh, all about our law firm, and they'll find my my practice page under there. Uh, and they can always uh, contact me by email at mschuster, M-S-H-U-S-T-E-R, at M is in Michael, S is in Sam, lawgroup.com, mschuster. Perfect. And thanks so much for taking time to talk with me on this rainy Ohio evening. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, Denise. I appreciate it. If you've learned even a kernel of an idea or was inspired by this episode, please consider rating and reviewing the podcast on Apple Podcast. Be sure to share out the hashtag CPGCX because CPGCX really and truly rocks. You have been listening to the My Curious Colleague podcast with Denise Benito. Thank you for your time.